Welcome to Geek on Film with your host, Robbie Holmes. Hey there, folks. This is Robbie. I'm so excited to be back with you to kick off Season 2 of Geek on Film with my recap of Middleburg Film Festival. Uh, this year's Middleburg Film Festival, I was able to see 13 films across four days uh, with a special guest appearance by... Uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, Killers of the Flower Moon that I got to see on that Tuesday. That'll probably be a separate podcast, but uh, that is a that is a heck of a movie. Let's jump into Middleburg as a festival. Uh, it's uh, it, t- it takes place in Middleburg, Virginia. Its home and anchor is the Salamander uh, Resort. That is this amazing palatial old school uh, resort that has so many modern touches. Uh, I really enjoy uh, getting to go out to the Salamander so much so that my wife and I have already planned a trip to go out there just to decompress after all all is said and done this year. I'm so excited to jump into these films. Uh, I saw uh, on day one, sort of the kickoff day, which was Thursday, two films, Anatomy of a Fall and Rustin. So what's nice is you go to the festival, uh, the kickoff film uh, that kicks off the festival is always over at the community center. And there's a little building next to the community center where you can go and chat with the staff and pick up your badge um, and buy your swag. Uh, it's a pretty uh, efficient little uh, location for the kickoff of this festival. It always feels like I've, I've arrived when I get there and go to pick up my badge and have somebody smile at me and say, like, take a look at our, uh, our sweatshirts and our hoodies. And uh, um, it, it really does feel like that is the kickoff to Middleburg for me. Um, went inside to see Anatomy of a Fall. This is a film that I knew <clears throat> had a lot of buzz coming out of Cannes, and it has been sort of chewing up the film festival circuit. But I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge about what the film was. It is a, uh, a really powerful film. So let's start with the description of the film. It's the story of Samuel uh, when Samuel is found dead in the snow outside of an isolated chalet where he lived with his wife, Sandra, a German writer, and their partially sighted 11-year-old son, Daniel. An investigation leads to the conclusion of suspicious death. Um, It's impossible to know for sure if he took his own life or uh, was killed. Sandra is indicated, and we follow her trial, which pulls the couple's relationship apart. Daniel is caught in the middle between the trial and their home life, and doubts doubts take their toll on the mother-son relationship. That is the best synopsis I've seen to this film. Thank you, IMDb. This movie is unreal. Uh, It is absolutely positively one of the most moving things I've seen this year. Uh, It was the first film this year I gave five stars. And 100% of it uh, sits on the shoulders of Sandra Hewler, who is the main character, Sandra Voiter. Sandra Voiter. Um, I will say she is unbelievable. You should uh, expect to see her nominated. <clears throat> if there's any justice in this world for best actress. Big note here is it's Justin Triette uh, who wrote and directed it uh, with some co-writing credit going to Arthur Harari. There's a lot of people talking about this film. I think the courtroom sequences alone are unbelievable and powerful and emotional. Uh, watching an entire relationship from the outside uh, in all of its complicated glory is uh, is difficult. It's it, There's a sequence that takes place uh, in the middle of a fight uh, around a table that is both calm and emotional, um, and it is biting and sad uh, in ways that I wasn't expecting. So a big call out here to uh, the boy who plays Daniel uh, Milo. He is uh, unbelievable. 
He they use uh, a lot of punctuation of Milo uh, of Daniel playing the piano as some of the score. So it's this diegetic sound that's in the film that really does add a huge amount of sadness of, of propulsion of uh, it, it has a huge impact on the, on the movie and sound is very important because of the fact that Daniel is uh, not fully sighted. Um, so, all right, I'm going to say you should definitely go see this film when you get a chance. It is out in theaters right now. Um, please take advantage of that. You want to see it where the sound is really good. I think that will have a huge impact on your, on your viewing experience. Next up was the um, opening night film, Rustin. I, I had heard nothing about this film except Coleman Domingo puts on a tour de force performance. And I can do nothing but agree. Oh my goodness, uh, what a performance from Coleman Domingo. He is unbelievable. I, I was so impressed uh, with him in this film. So the summary that's on IMDb at the moment is activist Bayard Rustin faces racism and homophobia as he helps change the course of civil rights history by orchestrating the 1963 March on Washington. This movie is full of amazing uh, individual performances. Uh, you've got Chris Rock in this film playing playing Roy Wilkins, who's the head of the NAACP. He is fantastic. You have sort of old guard uh, being uh, of, of, of the activist world being played by uh, Glenn Terman, uh, a, a really unbelievable performance by uh, Amal Amin uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and it's full of all these amazing um, smaller actors playing uh, smaller roles being played by great actors. You've got CCH Pounder in this. You've got Michael Potts. Uh, you've got Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey uh, Wright, who we'll be talking about a little bit more. Um, and what was amazing is after the showing, I was able to sit for the Q&A with the director, George Wolf and two members of the production company, um, uh, the, the Obama's production company that actually produced this film. And, uh, and the woman uh, who was Rochelle, uh, the woman who was part of uh, Bayard's actual group of uh, activists and organizers. So it was awesome to have her perspective and her telling true to true stories of what was going on in this time period. In the movie, she's portrayed by Lily Kay, um, and she is this sort of uh, rock for him. Uh, she was like a she told a story about being a 26 year old director of transportation who uh, was dyslexic and and got lost walking from a parking lot. It's very charming. Um, and George C. Wolf is uh, probably the right person to tell this story. He's also a big personality and he's great uh, in the conversation afterwards and telling what inspired him to make this film. And, and it was really the man, Rustin. Uh, but I haven't spent enough time talking about uh, Coleman Domingo. Boy, this movie uh, allows him to cook is the way I would put it. He is effervescent and he's charming and he is warm and, and you want to uh, you, you want him to succeed. Um, it's the best you can ask for uh, for a lead performance like this. Wow. Uh, yeah, we also have Audra McDonald. I mean, it's just unbelievable when you go down the cast, just how many amazing actors there are in this. Um, that was a really great way to have the festival itself uh, officially kick off and so much fun to sit around and be a part of that Q&A afterwards. And you'll get to see this on November 17th on Netflix. We're going to move on to day two. So day one, I saw two films. Day two, I saw three films, um, all very different. Uh, 
my day started with fingernails. Um, this is a movie that uh, I have been in the bag for since I saw the cast. Uh, I was uh, expecting an uncomfortable situation based on the storyline. I will tell you, I, I loved it. Let's jump into the to the actual synopsis that's over on IMDb. Uh, Anna, played by Jesse Buckley, increasingly suspects that her relationship with her longtime partner may not actually be the real thing. In an attempt to improve things, she secretly embarks on a new assignment working at the mysterious institute designed to incite and test the pre- for the presence of romantic love in increasingly desperate couples. So this is a world where <clears throat> there's a test that allows you to know whether or not both of you are in love, one of you is in love, or neither of you is in love. And it involves removing a fingernail and putting both fingernails in this machine, one fingernail from both people, and putting those fingernails in a machine. The sad part is, when it tells you one of you is in love, it doesn't tell you which one. It just says binarily, one of you is in love. We talked about and mentioned in the synopsis, Jesse Buckley plays Anna, uh, her partner is played by Jerry, Jeremy Allen White. Uh, Ryan uh, is her partner. And then Reza Ahmed works at the Love Institute, which is where she gets the job, uh, which is an, a place where you can go to try to increase your probability of getting 100% chance, uh, 100% connection in the test that happens. It was founded by uh, a character named Duncan, who's played by Luke Wilson, who is also unbelievable. Um, as soon as Anna starts working at the Love Institute, there's immediate chemistry with Amir, um, who's played by Reza Med. And, and really, it is, uh, it's like this movie was made in a pressure cooker for Robbie to uh, fall in love. It's, it's amazing actors, uh, very emotional and very open. Reza Med is so reserved and so pulled back in the beginning of the film. Uh, it really is unbelievable. Um a huge shout out to Jesse Buckley. I, I'm I was so impressed with her. I, I'm always impressed with her, but this movie really rides on her shoulders and whether or not you are are bought into her emotional roller coaster. And I think I was. There's no other way to put it. I was 100 percent bought in. Jesse Buckley uh, gets me every time, is the way I would put it. Um, Fingernails is coming to Apple TV Plus this Friday, November 3rd. Um, pretty pleased with sugar on top. Do yourself a favor. You should watch this film. I gave it a solid four stars. Next up was uh, a, a special screening of Past Lives. Uh, I had not seen Past Lives. I knew there was a huge amount of buzz coming out of Sundance for this film. Uh, last year's Sundance, I had virtual tickets for, just like I do this up- upcoming year, and was not able to see Past Lives. It wasn't allowed. It wasn't put on the virtual uh, video, the virtual platform. Um, and, uh, this movie absolutely, uh, kicked butt and took names and was bought by a 24 at Sundance and then was, uh, released to, to a very small amount of theaters for a short period of time. Um, there was a time where I actually had a ticket to this, to go see it at the Angelica center in mosaic. And I wasn't able to make it. And, uh, to this day, it's the one film ticket that I have not actually used when I, I buy a ticket. Very sad I didn't get to see this in the theater, but I'm very glad that I got to see it here because uh, what brought this to uh, Middleburg is that one of the people who curates the festival itself said they saw this film at Sundance and they were like, this is a total Middleburg film and really expected it to be sort of the anchor of Middleburg this year, a film that they would absolutely throw their support behind. And then A24 distributed it uh, a lot quicker than they were expecting it was going to. So uh, when it came right around to uh, them starting to, to program this festival, 
they decided that they wanted to give uh, the writer director of this film, Celine Song, a award. So they gave her the Breakthrough Artist Award or Big Breakthrough Creator. Um, it was really impressive. All right, let's jump into the summary of this film. Uh, Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are rest apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. Two decades later, they are reunited in New York for one fateful week as they confront notions of destiny, love, and the choices that make a life in this heart heartrending modern romance. Uh, so that's a synopsis from the Past Lives page on A24. Um, this movie uh, really gutted me. Uh, let's, jump, <laughs> let's jump into the performances and who who is there. Uh, so as mentioned earlier, the writer-director, uh, Celine Song, was at Middleburg, got to sit in with a Q&A, in, in the Q&A and hear her tell these amazing stories about how this film was made. Uh, she's so media savvy and so polished. Uh, you can feel her um, thought process has already been put into the way she can answer almost any question. She's so uh, at ease answering questions about this film and about her process um, and and her casting of these amazing actors. So uh, the main character uh, actors in this film are Greta Lee, who plays Nora, uh, and then Tae Young, who plays Young Hae and uh, Young Hae Sung, and then uh, John Magaro, who plays Arthur, um, who is Nora's husband. Um, this movie it starts with the children and focuses on their, well, it opens up on a, uh, a camera watching the three of them at a bar, uh, both Nora, Hyung, and uh, Arthur. And uh, somebody asking, it's sort of playing the game we all play. What is their story? Um, and it's, it's people who don't know them watching this trio, this, this, uh, trio communicate at a bar at like 4am. And, uh, it's, it's really fun because it really sets the whole movie on this. We're watching, uh, the story unfold and it's a really great framing device that gets us right into the movie. Um, and then it jumps to the children. Uh, so Nora as a child, uh, and, and, uh, Young, Young Hae and, and them in school and, uh, watching them walk together and and uh, and communicate as only friends can, and then the decision is made by her parents that they're going to emigrate. And uh, Nae Young uh, is very sad because uh, she, well, she's not sad, but she is infatuated with this boy. And uh, her mother decides to give her an opportunity to have a date so she can build some memories. Uh, and this movie just it really got you right there, watching these children have this sort of very innocent and flirtatious but but appropriate and and absolutely um heart melting set of interactions where eventually they're riding in the backseat of the car and uh she falls asleep holding his hand it's it's so perfect um and then you get to uh her leaving uh korea and and is very like boisterous about how she's leaving she's decided she's leaving she you know no, no, no Korean has ever won a Pulitzer, has ever won a Pulitzer prize. Uh, so it's, it's very braggadocious and, and he is just heartbroken because it feels like he hasn't, we're led to believe that she hasn't even talked to him about leaving and about, um, how sad she's going to be to miss him. And so they have this final walk, um, that we've seen them before on, uh, up to this amazing staircase that bifurcates and goes two levels. So the one that's going up the stairs has all this color and all this texture 
and the one going off to the left is about the same level as the ground. And uh, she goes up the stairs and he stops her. And then he just, after a long pause, says bye. Um, and doesn't bring up any of his feelings, doesn't have anything to say. And we watch them both walk on these two paths. So one is unique and, and heading upward. The other is flat and sort of boring. It really is a perfect... Whoever uh, found that spot uh, for them to shoot this scene is unbelievable. Great job on finding the location. And then we smash cut to uh, the em emigration happening. So going and heading to Canada. And then we see a younger, uh, a grown-up, uh, uh, Nae Young, who is taken on the name of Nora. And uh, her uh, joking around with her mother on the phone while she's trying to figure out who she should search for online. Uh, and this is about 12 years later. So I think it's about 2006 uh, or 2004. It's uh, it's definitely early 2000s uh, there. She's not really uh, connected with any with him on Facebook uh, because of the name change, according to what they say. But there's this amazing back and forth of them finding one another. And we get to see his life with his friends and um yeah, it's uh, it's unreal. And then all of a sudden, uh, after they've talked for a while, she decides to break off communication because she's spending so much time focused on um, going back to Seoul, going to Korea to visit him. And she's not even focused on the experience that she's getting to have here in New York. Um, she's accepted into a writer's retreat, which is out in Montauk. Um, and after basically telling uh, him that she's no longer going to communicate, she'll get back in touch. Um, he seems heartbroken and crestfallen and you can feel that. Um, and then she meets her future husband, Arthur, uh, when they go to this, uh, this artist retreat and we cut forward another 12 years and, uh, Jung Hae reaches out, uh, and they connect and he's coming to America. Um, and then you have this week long sort of four, I think it's like four days of them spending some time together, getting a chance to have the conversations they never had to have. And uh, it, it really is this unbelievably moving film and everything is so well thought out. You can feel it and you should listen to Celine song. Talk about this film. She has such a deliberate, uh, um, uh, she has such a deliberate pace and pattern she's trying to cover and it's semi autobiographical. So she really is invested in what is being created. And uh, I'm so excited for more people to see this film. I bought it on Blu-ray as soon as I saw it and then immediately showed it to my wife. I've been gushing about this film to anybody who will listen. Yeah, it's uh, it was the second five-star film for me of 2023. So do yourself a favor, past lives, uh, buy it, stream it. It's on premium VOD right now. Yeah, the only way to get 4K version of this is to buy it on streaming, which I also did. Um, boy, I love this film. So coming out of that, I had a really amazing day. I went and ate, at this point, I think I went and ate some tacos. There's this really adorable new taco stand that's popped up in Middleburg. And uh, and off to my final movie of the day. I had a choice to make. Between two films, uh, I could have seen Eileen or I could have seen Zone of Interest. And I decided I wanted to go with Eileen um, after uh, spending some serious time debating it because I was hopeful with the cast that it would be a little lighter. Um, I really want to see zone of interest, but I also felt like Eileen is a very film festival film. And uh, so let's jump into my bad choice is the way I would put it. So here we go. 
this film, here's the claim. The stagnant waters of Eileen's dull, stifled life as a solitary worker in a juvenile detention center in the 1960s Boston are unexpectedly disrupted when the institution brings in a new psychologist, the vibrant Rebecca. The fervent enthusiasm that blossoms between the two women almost immediately gives way to a closer relationship until their frail connection takes a dark turn. Uh, thank you, IMDb su uh, summary. Uh, this movie, uh, as mentioned earlier, is uh, a bunch of really amazing actors who I have a lot of affection for. Uh, you've got Thomas and McKenzie playing the titular Eileen. Shay Wiggum plays her father, Jim. You've got the unbelievably uh, bombshell sort of Marilyn Monroe almost-esque turn that Anne Hathaway is taking in this film as Rebecca, who's the psychologist who now works at the juvenile detention center. This movie is super dark and has a lot of very jarring cuts that I was not expecting. A lot of visceral reactions in the audience. I don't think that this trailer did this film any justice. I think that's the bigger problem here is I think that what uh, director William Oldroyd is doing um, didn't uh, is is unique and is definitely a story worth telling. But I think the trailer for this film actually uh, hurt its perception for me. Uh, what I how I perceived it and how I how I was able to take this film in. Uh, it did not seem nearly as dark as it was. I did not expect the subject matter to be what it was. And uh, I also was hopeful that this was going to be a slightly lighter film based on the trailer. Uh, it's my fault, I guess, for watching trailers. Uh, let's just say Anne Hathaway is great. Um, Thomas McKenzie is is really good, kind of as, as always. Um, but this is a, a role we've seen her play a few times of sort of a, a wounded, uh, sad, broken girl um, whose life is dull and has very little self-confidence. Um, I would love to see a more powerful Thomas and McKenzie in the future. Yeah, I, I, I made the wrong choice is the way I would put it. I didn't love this film, uh, but uh, I had had such a good day. It was hard. It was a really hard letdown coming out of fingernails and past lives. And, and then to be a bit disappointed and uh, not really on board with the, the final taste of the Middleburg Film Festival for day two. Um, but my choice, my decision, my fault. Uh, I'm With all of that being said, uh, go into this film if you're going to watch it, knowing it is a much darker film than the trailer that's on. And be uh, expectant for surprises and uh, maybe not positive surprises. All right. I, I don't want to spend any more time on Eileen. Let's jump over to my day three. So this was the day. Uh, I feel like every time you go to a film festival, you have a day. This was the day for me. I watched five films this day. My day started with Dream Scenario. Uh, boy, Dream Scenario. Uh, I, I, I was so excited to uh, jump in and see this film when I saw it was available at Middleburg. I, I've been watching the trailer now uh, probably for a couple months. I'm so excited uh, for you all to experience this film also. Uh, here's, the, here's the synopsis and the storyline uh, according to IMDb. Uh, Nicholas Cage stars as Paul Matthews, a listless family man and tenured professor with an affinity for evolutionary bio uh, biology and anxiety regarding his own anonymity. One day he discovers he has begun to, to appear in other people's dreams at an exponential rate. As in life, his presence in these dreams is banal and non-intrusive. 
He's simply there, staring indifferently at the fantasies and nightmares of strangers. Nonetheless, he becomes an overnight celebrity and then is showered with the attention he has long been denied. But when Paul encounters a dreamer whose visions of him differ substantially from the norm, he finds himself grappling with the Faustian bargain of fame as his dream selves start inexplicably becoming violent within their respective subconsciouses. This film uh, is really, really fun. Uh, I was, again, it gets dark. It has its moments. But seeing sort of this very uh, generic vanilla Nicolas Cage for the first, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes of this film, it's a blast. It's so much fun. Um, There's so many uh, unbelievable little twists and turns that this film takes. You know, there's also some really unbelievable um, individual uh, casting choices and actors that are giving you uh, so much more than I was expecting. Yeah, I, I I wasn't sure what to expect going into this film, and I was pleasantly surprised at almost every turn. Um, I would love to just call out the actress who plays Paul's wife, Janet, is Julianne Nicholson, and she's unbelievable. And then you've got uh, the children, uh, Hannah and Sophie, are played by Lily Bird and Jessica Clement. This family unit is pretty awesome. They obviously kind of, the kids constantly roll their eyes at their dad, they don't want to admit that he's their dad, uh, that that he's their dad. Um, and even when he becomes sort of uh, popular and uh, they're just so not impressed and it's so nonplussed by the whole process. Um, the other one that's a really nice surprise is you get Tim Meadows here as Brett, who's the head of the department uh, that Paul works at. And there's a couple of really great scenes where it goes back and forth between them and how they land this plane of uh, – such an amazing, uh, silly conversation about um, Paul having to, well, first the questions about like Paul's and Paul's uh, want for writing a book, how that continues to unfold. Michael Sarah playing Trent, who is uh, the head of this marketing company that reaches out to him and wants to represent him. Um, I, I love this film. I think it's, it's one of the weirder films that I've seen this year, but uh, one of the films that I think is probably the most worth it. Um, I, I really enjoyed myself. It was a blast. Um, Dream Scenario is going to be in theaters uh, next Friday, so November 10th. And you should see this with an audience. I think the audience reaction uh, really mir- mirrored how I was feeling and helped reinforce what I was seeing. It was a bl- it was so much fun. Go see it uh, if you can with a big audience. Okay, let's jump into uh, come out of Dream Scenario. And uh, I was supposed to go grab some lunch at this time. I had sort of scheduled that time. And then I looked at what was available to watch and I was uh, pleasantly uh, reined in to the idea of going to see uh, American Fiction. This movie is a film I had heard a little bit about because of Jeffrey Wright, who's the uh, main character of this film uh, and the actor who portrays him. Uh, And I heard he was amazing and possibly uh, going to be in the running for best actor. Um, So let's jump into the storyline over on IMDb. Uh, Thank you very much, IMDb. Uh, It is Cord Johnson's hilarious directorial debut, which which confronts our culture's obsession with reducing people to outrageous stereotypes. Jeffrey Wright stars as Monk, a frustrated novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment that relies on tired and offensive tropes. To prove his point, Monk uses a pen name to write an outlandishly black book of his own, a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. 
Uh, it's a pretty good synopsis. Uh, this movie has uh, the main character that is the centerpiece of this film is uh, Monk, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright. Uh, but the amazing uh, cast that he gets to play with here and to uh, have part of the world that is being created by Cord Jefferson, who both wrote and directed this um, with additional writing by Percival Everett, uh, is unreal. Uh, you've got Issa Rae playing Centara. You've got Sterling K. Brown playing uh, Monk's brother, Clifford. Um, there's just Tracy, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross playing Lisa, his sister. Um, there's so many amazing performances in this movie. Uh, I could not uh, recommend this film more. Uh, you've got these unbelievable overlapping personalities and people who are all, you know, interwoven interwoven in each other's lives. Um, and, and it's just one of the most um, funny, uh, thought provoking um society skewering films I've seen in a very long time. Um, when you get a chance, you should see this film. It's in theaters uh, in a limited capacity starting in December 15th, and it goes wide uh, December 22nd. So uh, do yourself a favor, go see this film. Uh, it'll spark a lot of conversation. I think it's probably one of the most uh, interesting uh, films of the year for me, and it is absolutely a, a sort of lightning rod for us to pay attention to Cord uh, going forward. His, uh, his ability to pull this film together and to direct it with so much confidence is really amazing. Um, that's the same thing I would say for Celine Song. I forgot to mention, uh, it is also her directorial debut. Uh, boy, howdy. What a year for new uh, movie creators, directors, writers, uh, auteurs. Let's jump over to another auteur. Uh, so here we are, uh, my third film of the day. Again, back staying at the Salamander Resort. Um, I was lucky enough to see Emerald Fennell's uh, Saltburn, written and directed by Emerald, uh, Emerald Fennell. Uh, the storyline that we have is uh, a student at Oxford finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. That's a decent synopsis, IMDb. Uh, this film, uh, is pretty unbelievable. Uh, I was, I recently, I had never seen Promising Young Woman. I watched it in the last month to try to prepare after seeing the trailer for Saltburn. I was, uh, really intrigued, uh, to see what Emerald had created in, uh, their first film. And I could not, uh, tell you more that you should see this film. It is a little more psychosexual, a little more dark than I think I expected. Uh, but the trailer does sort of allude to that. Um, you've got Barry Keoghan playing Oliver, <clears throat> the main character of this film. Uh, he is a chameleon. His ability to seem both young and boyish uh, and strapping uh, muscular and masculine uh, is really impressive. He is uh, always impressive on film. I feel like, um, like Jesse Buckley, uh, I don't think I've seen Barry Keoghan in something that I haven't been drawn into. Uh, in this case, he is trying to play a character who is both sort of broken and also the master of his own domain to amazing and uh, successful uh, experience. Jacob Alordi uh, is someone who I didn't know before this. I, I had heard uh, his name uh, bandied about because of euphoria. Uh, he plays Felix, who is the person that he, that 
Oliver finds himself in the uh, drawn to the orbit of and uh, and then immediately is becomes the center of this like friend group of the in crowd. He is electric in this film. You can see why he was cast. You can see that Emerald knows how to give us what she was trying to accomplish, which is this person is both charismatic, uh, charming, the center of the universe of a lot of people. Uh, then you had uh, Archie um, Medeque, uh, who plays Farrelly, which is basically uh, who is basically a adopted brother of Felix. Uh, and that is, uh, he, he is unbelievable. Uh, the, the, both the love and the constant frustration of this character, um, with his, with Felix and with their, with Felix's family, um, is really crazy. And then you get to, uh, the fourth of the crew of this film is Sadie, uh, Soveral playing Annabelle. Um, but we're not done with amazing actors that are a part of this. We have Felix's parents being played by Roseman Pike, uh, who plays his mother, Espeth. And then uh, Richard E. Grant plays his father, Sir James Catton. Wow. Uh, and then just a random person at the Saltburn Estate is Carrie Mulligan, whose character's title and name is Poor Dear Pamela. Um, it's so much fun to see Carrie Mulligan pop up in this role. She had such a huge, she was such a huge portion of a promising young woman. And then to see where she goes this year uh, in, in the final film I'm going to talk about today. Uh, really, she's on a tear. This film was great. I didn't get a chance to stick around for the Q&A because um, I had to run to the next movie. But Saltburn uh, will be in theaters on November 17th in a limited capacity. And then we'll open wide on uh, November 22nd. Um, it is a film you should see with your friends and you should talk about. It was shot beautifully. The setting is unbelievable. The uh, The estate that is Saltburn is, it's so over the top and so luxurious. And then the story that's being told is just so unique. I've never, I haven't seen something like this in a while. Uh, I mean, maybe ever to this extent. Um, go watch Saltburn. Uh, Emerald Fennell is uh, creating amazing film after amazing film that causes a lot of conversation. So here we go. I ran from Saltburn, which was at the Salamander Resort, down to the Hill, which is another venue. Um, it's this beautiful little campus where uh, one of the buildings is uh, is like a it has a like an auditorium that has been converted to a movie theater. Um, this is one of my favorite parts of Middleburg. You get to sort of take a breath and step out to another venue. Uh, in my case, I was, I was kind of running because I was trying to meet up with my wife and some friends. Uh, hello, Raquel. It was great to see you. Um, and uh, this was for uh, Priscilla. So uh, the latest Sofia Coppola film um, that is based on uh, Priscilla's own um, biography uh, and and written for the screen uh, by Sophia and Priscilla's documentation, I believe, and Sandra Harmon. I, I ran over, uh, got a chance to sit down, uh, be there just as the film started. Um, here's the storyline, uh, according to our friends over at IMDb. Uh, when teenage Priscilla uh, uh, Bellew uh, meets Elvis Presley at a party, the man who had already 
is already a meteoric rock and roll superstar, becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments. A thrilling crush, an ally in loneliness, a, a vulnerable best friend through Priscilla's eyes. Sophia Coppola tells the unseen ride of the great American myth in Elvis and Priscilla's long courtship and turbulent marriage from a German army base to his dream world estate at Graceland uh, in this deeply felt, ravishingly detailed portrait of love, fantasy, and fame. This film has an amazing cast, but we're going to focus on the two top people in order of uh, their roles. Uh, we've got Kaylee Spaney uh, playing Priscilla and a person we just spent some time talking about as Elvis Jacob Elordi. Uh, that guy's having a year, man. This film was definitely a little bit of a letdown for me. I feel like the pacing of this film is pretty slow. Um, I can't, this, it does not help this film that I saw Saltburn just before this. Because I got a chance to see Jacob Elordi on fire in that film. And here he plays a very hemmed up, tight, like wrapped up in our assumption of Elvis version of this character. He, his magnetic charm is not there. His, he's a tall, beautiful man um, who feels like a caricature of Elvis, which I think is what Sofia Coppola is going for by telling the story from Priscilla's perspective. Uh, but it doesn't allow this actor to sort of uh, spread his wings and be as dynamic as I think he could have been. Kaylee Spaney it does a really great job. Uh, there are moments where she reminds me of so many different actors who I have a lot of respect for. Um, but in the end, she becomes Priscilla, in my opinion. Probably by the time Priscilla hits about 30 or so, you can see Kaylee Spaney really what, what she was trying to accomplish. But it also is because we have a very young girl version of Priscilla that is being played by this woman. So uh, not super well-formed, not super strong or powerful, um, and not very confident in who she was other than the fact that she was, you know, Elvis's, Elvis's girl. Um, this film didn't give us a lot of new information from my perspective. It felt very um, hemmed up and tight is the way I would put it. I often, I, I wrote in my notes, I think, uh, stoic and sterile. I think what, what we were trying, what, what was being attempted here was to show how Priscilla was sort of isolated and alone, but we didn't get any of the sort of internal interiority of the character's feelings. There was no diary. There's no talking to her friends. Or, or a friend, or talking out loud to the dog, or anything. There's no, uh, you know, allowing uh, us to hear her whispering to her mother about how uh, sad she is, or about how it's not the life she expected. So, so much being unsaid here, in my opinion, that uh, this film sort of left me cold. I, I didn't have a ton of affection for this walking out. I think um, it's beautifully shot. I think that uh, Kaylee Spaney really comes into her own uh, throughout this movie. And uh, I, I wish there was, a, I, I hate to wish cast, I hate to wish write a film. This film just wasn't what I was hopeful for. I think it was a, a, a little bit of a disappointment for me across uh, a day full of, of very high highs. Priscilla is coming. Uh, it will be out in limited release. Uh, it is already in limited release. It will go wide uh, this week. So if you'd like to see it, um, and you should, Sofia Coppola doesn't make bad movies. Uh, this was just not my cup of tea. It wasn't the type of film I was hopeful for, given uh, what I 
thought I was going to get. So I guess I did a little bit of wish casting here. Okay. Uh, it was great to chat with everybody after the film. Uh, my wife brought me some food cause I, uh, she knew I wasn't going to get to eat. So I had a couple of sandwiches and, uh, sat on a bench real quick between films. And then, uh, my wife and friends ran off and had dinner and I went back to the Hill theater and saw the killer David Fincher's next film. This was a film I have uh, been waiting for since I saw the trailer. Um, I really was worried that I was putting it on too much of a pedestal. But let's jump into the storyline. According to IMDb, a man solitary and cold, methodical and unencumbered by scruples or regrets. The killer waits in the shadows, watching for his next target. And yet the longer he waits, the more he thinks he's losing his mind, if not his cool. Brutal, bloody and stylish noir film of a professional assassin lost in the world without a moral compass. This is a case study of a man alone, armed to the teeth, and slowly losing his mind. I I love the questioning aspect and the idea of him slowly un- unfurling the longer he is waiting. I don't know that this character, the killer played by Michael Fassbender, is on the verge of losing his mind. I think he is um, constantly this taut creature who lives in a world of um, absolutes where he doesn't think at all about his victims. Uh, He cares more about the act of being perfect. Um, There's a precision to what he is doing uh, between doing yoga to try to lower his heart rate while he's waiting for his victim um, to the building and rebuilding of his, of his rifle to make sure it's perfect there's some really funny like internal monologue that we hear of this character. I mean, there's a great line where he says that he uh, chose to take his look from a German tourist because no one wants to talk to German tourists. It's got a lot of dry and, you know, really, really biting wit in my opinion. Um, Almost a little bit to the, a little to the point of making, trying to bring the audience along because the movie is so, uh, antiseptic in what it's doing and showing us. But I think that works. I think it, it gives us an insight into the character. I love the music choices, um, having this killer be super focused on the Smiths and, and Morrissey and that tone and tenor of film. I, I don't think I've ever said this on here, but I, I was a person who grew up listening to lots of different music. Uh, eventually I was listening to like some really hard industrial and and then I, I started listening to more Smiths and Morrissey and, you know, Eurasia. And uh, and that was the one time that my mother was like, I'm worried about you because the, the song sounded so sad and dour. And it was so funny that those were the things that uh, she was most worried about. Uh, this film is great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's propulsive. I don't think it is. Uh, I, this is not a film that I expect to be sort of it's not awards bait. It's not created specifically for the idea of trying to loop in the Academy. This is a film that feels like uh, David Fincher is, is taking a little bit of a shot at himself for his level of precision uh, by taking on this film. Uh, so Fincher directs it. It's written by Andrew Kevin Walker, Alexis Nolent and Luke uh, Jackamon. And uh, you've got a few other surprisingly cool acting flourishes thrown in by people like Charles Purnell and, uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, a few others that I, I don't want to uh, blow for you, but uh, Carrie O'Malley has some really great moments. It's such a uh, emotional foil compared to what the killer is. So she is 
so uh, on edge and uh, reactive when he is so cold and quiet. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, the Killer is coming to Netflix uh, next week, uh, November 10th. Uh, this is a film you should watch. Uh, this is a film you should watch with pretty good sound because I really do think the sound is going to make a huge difference. It's also surprisingly quietly funny. I, I enjoyed it a lot. You should watch it. It's a pretty solid film from my perspective. And that's how I closed out my day three. What an experience. Uh, five films, uh, mostly good, and uh, all all uh, good efforts. It set me up for the final day of the festival. I drove home. I drove back early the next morning and uh, made the decision that I was going to see uh, The Taste of Things. Oh, wow. Uh, this film... Uh, I had heard it was this amazing film that showed it was like a love letter to food, to cooking, to relationships, to love. And boy, howdy, did it deliver. Here's the synopsis according to IMDb. Uh, the relationship between Eugenie, an esteemed cook, and Dodin, uh, the gourmet she has been working for uh, over the last 20 years, growing fonder of one another, their bond turns into a romance and gives rise to delicious dishes that impress even the world's most illustrious chefs. Um, when Dodin is faced with Eugenie's re reluctance to commit to him, he decides to start cooking for her. This movie made me cry. This movie is absolutely amazing. It captures the sense of a kitchen, even set in the 1800s, of, of how much it is a ballet. Julia Pinoche plays Eugenie. She's beautiful and competent and empathetic and quiet and stoic and, and un unreal. She is so reserved, but um, it's all there in her eyes and on her face. Dodin is played by Benoit uh, Magamel. I had never seen him in, in anything previously. He is uh, empathetic and caring and uh, precise and uh, loves cooking as much as he loves. He loves food as much as he loves good cooking and as much as he loves her. This film blew me away. I I was in tears. I was, my heart was singing. Uh, I was sad. I was enamored. I was in love. Uh, this film is unbelievable. I, I don't want to go too much further into it. I'd like you to all experience it on your own. Please take this as the highest of possible recommendations. Put this on your radar. It is not going to come to theaters until February 9th of next year. I really wish they would release it around Christmas. I wish it had more time for us to languish with this film and these actors in this movie. I feel like it is going to have all this buzz coming out of all the festivals and it will hopefully keep that fever pitch as it enters the theater because I expect this to be very highly uh, touted coming into the Oscars. Do yourself a favor, put it on your calendar, go see this film. Second film of the day for me on the final day of Middleburg was May, December. Uh, this is Todd Haynes' latest film. Let's jump into the uh, storyline. The summary of this film is 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when the actress arrives to do research about the film and about their past. So uh, this movie is sort of big names all over the place from Todd Haynes directing it, 
Uh, you've got Sammy Birch and uh, Alex Machenik, uh writing this film. And uh, the, the main actors at the top of the ticket are Natalie Portman, who plays Elizabeth, the actress who is going to portray Gracie, um, who is played by Julianne Moore, of the story of a woman who falls in love as an adult. She's in her, I believe, late 20s when she falls in love with a seventh grader, uh, Joe Yu, who's played by, the adult version is played by Charles Melton. This film takes this subject matter, which could be very complicated, and leans into it and, and leans into some campy aspects of, of portraying this film. Uh, I think Natalie Portman's uh, sort of uh, approach and her want to be in the moment, sort of really method acting, um, makes for some very amusing scenes. Uh, but it never takes away from the the story that it's trying to tell. Uh, Julianne Moore plays Gracie, who is p- appearing all together, strong woman who seems to be in control and have an answer for everything that's going on. When in reality, she's not as strong and she's a little bit uh, fracturing under the, the weight of everything that's going on in her world. But also, I think just sort of uh, not the facade that she puts up when she's in public. Uh, Joe... Uh, her husband is both her rock, but also it feels like slipping um, into the aspects of her, his life that uh, he is not uh, leaning into his wife. He is, uh, his children are about to go off to college. And I think that he sees a possibility of a future that might be different than what he's had up to this point. The movie is really fun. It's shot beautifully. Um, it has a, a lot of humor that I wasn't expecting. Todd Haynes is really uh, fantastic at bringing a, a, a lightness to uh, serious subject matter. It was great. I think you should see it. Uh, May, December is coming to Netflix on my birthday, December 1st. Grab some friends, uh, sit around and watch a film that'll make you both uh, have an interesting conversation and laugh and chuckle a few times. So that was it. I ran off and uh, grabbed some brunch. Uh, my wife and uh, a couple friends were uh, having brunch out at Salamander, so I was able to sneak away, grab something to eat between films, and then rush back to uh, the main theater at the Salamander to see the uh, closing night film uh, Maestro. Uh, this is Bradley Cooper's uh, writing, directing, and acting masterpiece, I would say, about Leonard Bernstein. Uh, co-written with Josh Singer. Uh, the the storyline for this film and the synopsis, according to IMDb, Maestro will tell the complex love story of Leonard and Felicia, a story that spans over 30 years from the time they met in 1946 at a party and continuing through two engagements, a 25-year marriage, and three children, Jamie Bernstein, Alexander Bernstein, and Nina Bernstein-Simmons. So this film is, is sort of an interesting balancing act. The first like 40 minutes or so is all in black and white. Um, I believe before their initial relationship uh, is, is transitioned from flirtation and a first meeting to the life that they create together and that they are a part of one another's lives. I was less taken with the black and white. I love sort of the musical theatery feel of a lot of what's going on there, including their, but it, it, it uh, this is a film that felt like it, needed being told as a sort of straightforward uh, feature and less about this sort of fantasy-esque musical nature of the black and white portion. The movie opens with Leonard Bernstein uh, jumping up out of bed uh, where he is with David played by Matt Boomer, who is 
uh, amazing. He is an amazing that guy who uh, every time I see him, I am so enamored with what he's pulling uh, us into, how how usually you get lost in how beautiful and how soulful his eyes are. He, he often plays quieter roles. And Bradley Cooper is uh, playing Leonard here and really a frenetic, young chaos monkey. Um, and he, we hear him get the call to go and conduct uh, the New York Philharmonic for the first time. Uh, this really starts his entire career professionally. He's been doing a few things before that. He wrote some musicals. But this is what really sets him on the path that he's going to be on for the rest of his life. At a party uh, very shortly after this, uh, he meets Felicia and uh, she's played by Carrie Mulligan. And uh, I could not uh, give higher praise to an actress this year. This is a very complicated best actress uh, campaign year, in my opinion. And Carrie Mulligan has absolutely earned a spot um, in the nominations, if not the top prize. She is unbelievable in this movie. This movie could have been called Felicia. She is beautiful. She's strong, emotional, volatile. She's all the emotions. Um, her affection for uh, Bradley Cooper's uh, Leonard is, is, is amazing. And her ferocity with which she wants to live the life uh, that she's helping create for her children and for the world that uh, she's a part of. Unbelievable. Another casting I wanted to call out that I wasn't aware of is we have um, Sarah Silverman playing Shirley, uh, Leonard's sister. And she is amazing. She She's so good in this film. She feels so natural, uh, especially against sort of Leonard's sort of chaotic nature. Uh, she feels like she could absolutely be his sister. It feels right. And every time she's on screen, she makes the scene better. Really a pretty amazing uh, supporting actress run uh, run for her. Uh, I think she could possibly get nominated. She's, she's really unreal in this film. Uh, Maestro, you should see it. It is coming to Netflix December 20th. The sound, there is a scene where you get to see Leonard uh, actually leading the orchestra. Uh, and it is one of the most powerful scenes. It, it made me emotional by the swell of the music, by what was happening in that scene, by where he is in his life, by what how it unfolds at the end. It's like three and a half to four minutes of some of the most amazing uh, non-dialogue I've seen in a film that tells you so much. You should see this film. Do yourself a favor. Uh, it's coming. It'll be on your television soon. Um, if there's any uh, showings of this in a theater, you should go see it. It deserves the best sound you can give it. That's it for me. Uh, 13 films, four days, an amazing film festival. I love Middleburg Film Festival. Uh, it is uh, absolutely uh, something I look forward to every year. I, I look forward to, to being there again next year. Uh, we're talking about the possibility of even possibly renting a house uh, so I can be in Middleburg and not have to drive back and forth as much. Boy, uh, I feel lucky to experience this film festival and to have it be a part of my life. So uh, thank you, Middleburg, for putting on an amazing festival. Thank you to all the volunteers who uh, absolutely made the experience better. Thank you for curating such an amazing festival. Thank you. I think I'm just happy to have this experience in my life and I'm happy to be able to bring it to you. Do a little quick recap. I'm sure some of these films will become main reviews throughout the rest of the season uh, for us here at Geek on Film. Shout out to John for being amazing and uh, currently being off-Broadway. I'm so looking forward to getting a chance to sit down and, and record with him again. I hope that the SAG After Strike really wraps up soon. 
Uh, I couldn't be more in support of SAG-AFTRA. I think the reality here is they, uh, they are fighting so that way people who are in those unions can uh, live, can live off of the work they're doing. We should, we should support SAG-AFTRA, in my opinion. And Geek on Film is totally behind uh, the SAG-AFTRA strike that is happening right now. Thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, I'm Robbie the Geek everywhere online. John is John Hoche, J-O-N-H-O-C-H-E. Uh, we're Geek on Film, uh, Geek on Film Com on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have some shirts and swag that you can buy over at our store. Check the links in your description. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, still not sure what the next review is going to be. Possibly Killers of, of the Flower Moon. but. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with us and being here all the way to the end. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.